Welcome to the Seven Gates of the Kingdom podcast. This is J.H. Ellis. I'm the author of the epic fantasy series, Seven Gates of the Kingdom. In this podcast, I will talk about the stories behind the book series. If you want to follow along with the podcast and read the books at the same time, the first book of the series, The Gate of Aleph, is available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Let's get started. Tonight, we're diving into chapter 14. The title is The Water People. More on that later. In my mind, the gate of the left takes off in this chapter. I remember writing this chapter and portions of chapters that follow and loving how Shema's adventure was beginning to unfold. Shema, as we learned last week, doesn't make a Faustian bargain and find a way to skip the pain of going back home. He and his friend Peleg set sail from Midbar to Seth. Then they run into a storm that capsizes their ship. I don't think I mentioned this last week, but another takeaway is that you can choose the right thing and the outcomes will seem to get much worse sometimes. Shema makes a wise decision, but after he does, he encounters waves of trouble, literally. With that context, let's get started with chapter 14. It opens with Shazam, all the way in the city of Kings, having a vision about Shema. The strange vision leads Shazam to groan for Shema to live. What's happening is that Aleph, the God figure in the gate of Aleph, is downloading a vision to his priest Shazam. Shazam's name, if you remember, means vision. Aleph allows Shazam to sense that Shema is in trouble. In other words, in this scene with the supernatural context, the visionary Shazam prays for Shema. He's even criticized by Shema's palace enemies about praying for him. Here's the excerpt. In the vision Shazam was having now, images of seawater and makana soaring over the palace walls encircled him. A makana warrior flew toward the priest, shouting at him. The amethyst necklace around the warrior's neck blazed before curling off and turning and slithering into a sparkling serpent. The vision ended. Shazon gasped for breath and writhed on the palace floor. Dav, Leoben, and Kayan approached him. Still unfocused by the vision, Shazon breathed, unsafe. Who is unsafe, blundering priest? Dav asked. Shema. Dav stepped over Shazon. Made Libneth dispatch a sea dragon to swallow him whole. When they left, Shazon continued to groan, his knees tucked to his waist. Live, Shema, live. Let me ask you, have you been suddenly struck by the need to pray for someone when their name crossed your mind? Have you or someone you know had dreams about people that gave answers the people needed? Have you heard of people being led to a place and helping someone there? I am not talking about anxiety, worry, or superstition. I'm also not talking about knee-jerk religious activity. God has the wondrous ability and the loving will to speak to us in a variety of ways. Throughout human history, God has used people to show up at the right time to pray, to help, or deliver someone from trouble. People who know God can be used as his hands and feet in the world. When God uses them, it's strategic, it's powerful, and it's a privilege to be used by him. 
If you Google where vision shows up in the Bible, you'll see passages throughout the scriptures that talk about God using visions as a tool to communicate. Let's look at Daniel. God uses visions as a knowledge transfer about the future. Daniel is considered an end times prophet. God gave him revelation about the end times of the world in a vision. Here's one account from Daniel 7 verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. I'll stop there. God communicates supernaturally. That's my point. It's no different in the gate of Aleph. Again, the God figure, Aleph, uses supernatural sight to trigger Shazam into a time of prayer on behalf of Shema. Aleph is behind the scenes, threading purpose and protection in Shema's life without Shema knowing anything about it. Shema and Peleg are in a storm that lands them not just in the sea, but below the sea, in the realm of the water people. And Aleph uses his priest Shazon, who is miles away in Seth, to decree that Shema live. Now let's pick up the story with Shema and Peleg. Peleg and one of the sailors, just before the ship, their, their vessel capsized, they had fought each other. So here's the excerpt. Shema dreamed of darkness. Frigid, salty water streamed through his throat and bowels. Perhaps the enraged sea god had punished him for his insolence. Would a car rejoice at the death of his adopted heir, an ill-begotten monarch? As Shema's mind swam, he awakened. The light was moldy green. Shema groped in the sand, willing his body to stand. How long had it been since their vessel capsized? He searched the shore, strewn with wood and cloth. Padding across the sand, he saw the bodies of his companions. He checked each body, counting six. One sailor still breathed. It was Pele. His wound wasn't as severe as Shema had assumed. Zephi had, had only grazed his neck. Shema knelt down and tore cloth from his robes. He bound the injury and exhaled when Peleg's eyes fluttered. Is this the resting place of my forefathers? Not yet. The waters overcame our vessel. You and I survived. Zephi, lost to us, Shema said. Peleg gasped and lifted his trembling hand toward a cave in the distance where light emerged. A dark green banner was visible along with the silhouettes of chanting foot soldiers. We are below the sea, the home of the water people, Peleg whispered. Can you run, Shema murmured in Peleg's ear, his eyes fixed on the cave's opening a mile away. They see the remains of the vessel, but not us. There is a cleft of rock behind us. If we crawl, we can hide. You can't hide from the water people, Peleg said. They are spirits, and we are thoughtful. Move with me. The two men crawled across the sand. The chanting grew nearer. Sand and debris caught on Shema and Peleg's hair, fingernails, and skin, but they reached the rock, which led to another cave. They crawled to the deepest end of the opening. The torches of the water people glowed as they picked through the shipwreck with thin, pale green hands and kicked at the corpses of the dead soldiers. Slung around their necks were long nets, and in their hands, 
They carried small hooks. They chanted as they searched the shore. Inside the cave, Shema picked up a piece of driftwood and scrambled the tracks. When they get here, we'll overtake the leader and hold him as a shield, Shema said. But there are ten or more warriors, and they are taller than the sails of our vessel, Halek said. Focus on the leader. Pretend he's a merchant and you're helping yourself to his wages. And how will we escape? We can't live below the water. Not like them. Shema's head throbbed. He had Shema is facing great peril, and he may not have a plan right here in chapter 14, but a left mighty and strategic always does. That's it. We've reached the end of our discussion about chapter 14. I may add a tidbit more about chapter 14 in next week's podcast about the water people. That's only because the water people are going to be an important group to know for book two that's coming shortly in the Seven Gates of the Kingdom series. Again, remember my goal in this podcast is to encourage you to dig deeper in the Bible. This is based on what I believe are God's instructions for the book, Hide Me to Reveal Me. In the pages of this fantasy story, the gate of the left, may you catch a glimpse of Yahweh and his ways. Look for a new podcast every Friday night, just before midnight. For more information or to give feedback, follow my blog, Tablets of Seth, at thegateoftheleft.com. Of course, The Gate of the Left is available at Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. 